And uh, last night, I know many of you got together. Uh, Wilf and Barb Pass uh, held a party last night to celebrate their 60th anniversary. And uh, any others here who have been married 60 years or more? There's a f- <laughs> you, You're hoping for 60 years, right? Wilf and Barb, would you just stand up for a moment? Thank you so much. Now, Renee and I are quite newcomers to your family, and, but it was so good to uh, absorb some of the history and some of what has been going on in the life of the church for the last 60 years or so, and, and to see the heritage of faith and what has been invested in people's lives and to see that carrying on. And, and it's amazing how uh, God's Spirit works both in what has been done and what will be done. And in fact, uh, you know, if you'd look back maybe 60 years, You see, God was doing lots of new things and unique things and stirring in Bethany and stirring in our community. But our future is not based on what God used to do because God keeps doing something new all the time. And and as we take a look into the Holy Spirit and what he is doing, we're looking at what God used to do But we're also looking at what God is doing and what he's planning to do in the future. Now, Pastor Steph got us started on this series on the Holy Spirit. And he talked to us about the Trinity and the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And and how Jesus himself had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could join us and be part of our lives. And we've been carrying on that series Uh, Last week we looked at how the Holy Spirit is like water and how that Holy Spirit stirs up a wellspring of life within us. And that's what he does. He stirs life that comes from deep within. And today we're taking a look at how the Holy Spirit is like wind. Before we get into that, I just want to point out a couple things that happen in our lives you know looking at the holy spirit for some of us is just a little bit threatening a little bit scary even for some of us now some of you probably come from a background where the holy spirit is talked about lots and the holy spirit seems very active in fact sometimes you may have come from a background where the holy spirit does some pretty amazing things and Your morning church service is quite lively with the Spirit. And so you come to a church like this, and when we talk about the Holy Spirit, you might feel like, I'm missing some of the excitement that I used to experience. Some of you come from a very different kind of background, where the Holy Spirit was not talked about very much at all. In fact... Sometimes you probably felt a little bit hmm, hesitant to talk about the Holy Spirit because we don't want to be like those 
other people. So because of that, we sometimes talk very little about it. And so taking a look at the Holy Spirit can feel a little nervous. Hope we don't give him too much emphasis because we really want to focus on Jesus. Well, in the interest of self-disclosure, I came to know the Lord in a very conservative background. We did not talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, where I came to know the Lord was a place that you would call a cessationalist church. Not a sensationalist church, but a cessationalist. In the sense that we believed that the work of the Holy Spirit kind of finished in the New Testament. And he's not doing anything amazing anymore since. And it showed in a lot of our lives. He wasn't really doing all that much. And so when I come to take a look at the Holy Spirit, I come with that background where I'm just a little nervous to talk about them. In fact, <laughs> to tell you the truth, in all my years of ministry and of preaching and of teaching, I don't think I've ever taught a series on the Holy Spirit. And so this has been kind of a challenging and a learning series for me as I start re-examining. So what is it I do believe about the Holy Spirit? And what is it that the scriptures really teach? And what influence should that be on my life? And so as I teach and as I share things with you, I find myself growing. And being stirred. So as we take a look at these pictures. I pray that God would be stirring. And expanding. Your love. And your interest in what God is doing. In your life. Now. What God is doing right now. Is rooted very deeply. In what he has done. In fact. You know, we take a look at the Old Testament and we take a look at the New Testament. And why do we have both? Well, the Old Testament gives us the roots and the history and helps us to understand the foundations. And the New Testament builds on that. So today, even though we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament, it's very valuable for us to understand where God was working and as we take a look at the New Testament, we see where God is working. And they're both very important to us. Now, when we take a look at the Holy Spirit, we start in the Old Testament. Much of the Old Testament was written in an ancient Hebrew language. And the ancients used a word for the Holy Spirit called Ruach. You want to say that with me? Ruach. You got to get that in there. Sorry, don't want to spit on my mic here. Now, some of you, your backgrounds, you'll find that very easy to pronounce. Some of us find it kind of challenging. But, the, but that term, ruach, is a term that was used for something that was invisible, but was still at work. And just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not working. And you can see what it's doing even though you can't see it. And so this term ruach was used for wind, 
It was used for breath. It was used for the spirit. And so it's kind of a general term that's applied in many different ways. Now, in the sense that it's used for wind, it's not used for air. And there's the difference between air and wind. And what's the difference? One is working. One is moving. One is, you could say, is energized. And it's doing something. Which is why Jesus said, you, could, you don't see the wind, but you can see what it's doing and see what it's stirring. So it's that invisible energy. So as the ancients could see the wind picking up things and moving things and doing something, even though it was invisible to their eyes, they knew the wind was real, even though they couldn't grab it, they couldn't hold it, and you couldn't go out there with a sack and catch it and then later release it. Because the moment you catch it and stop it, it's no longer ruach. It's no longer wind because it doesn't have the energy in it. They would think of the wind as something that moves a sailboat. Something that would move a windmill. Something that you could harness its energy and use it. And in the Old Testament, it was that wind that brought in those quail that fed the uh, nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. It was that wind that blew that separated the Red Sea and they went across it. It was invisible, but it did something powerful. And that was the wind. It was a force. You could say it's an energy, it's an, a power. So even though you can't grasp it, it's doing something very real. And it's used... For the term breath. So I want you to just take a moment and put your hand in front of your mouth. And try that word again. Ruach. Yeah, did you feel that? Against your hand? Now I want you to say the word life. Life. See, when God created Adam. The first man. When he created humans. And he made his form out of the dust. But then he breathed his ruach into him. And, he, and Adam became a living being. And so as the ancients thought about breath, they thought, what is it that makes my lungs involuntarily keep moving in and out? Why is it that my heart just keeps beating? Why is it that my mind just works? What animates flesh so that it's just not a steak, but it is something that is actually alive? It's the breath of life, the ruach of God. And so uh, it, it's interesting. Job said this, for as long as I have my ruach and the ruach of God is in my nostrils, I will not speak falsely and he spoke of it and he thought of it as this my life is given to me by God the very breath I have the fact that my body is animated that I can think that my heart beats that I can wake up in the morning and I'm still alive that all comes from God my life is not my own 
but it's empowered by God every step of the way. There's this invisible energy that's empowering this flesh to be alive. And it's that breath of life that's in both human and animals. The very fact that we have living bodies. We have that breath of life that's in us. It's something that makes us work. It's not referring to a soul. Though as humans, we have something that animals do not have. At least that's what we understand. Is that we have a living soul. Something that's created in the image of God. That will one day return to God. Book of Ecclesiastes says that when we die, our bodies return to God. But that life energy that gives us breath, that breath of life, returns to God. And so Ruach also refers to spirit. It's invisible. You can't grasp it. In fact, it's very hard to understand. But it's very real. And where's the first time in scriptures that we see the Spirit of God at work? Do you know? I think some of you do. In Genesis chapter 1. Scriptures tell us that the earth was, was formless and void. And it was covered with water. And the Ruach of God hovered, fluttered, moved upon the water and that's where we see the origin of that creative energy that actually made our earth it's the spirit of God stirring upon elements to bring life out of nothing to create for us a world that can sustain life that inspires life that inspires us to keep on living and to live, to live out our life in inspiring ways. The Spirit of God works to create and to make things. And then he goes on to breathe that life into humans that we can be like God. See, the Spirit and the work of the Spirit began when the earth was created. And he began his work long before we were born. In fact, it's the Spirit of God that holds everything together. Not only is this world God's because he made it, but it's God's because he sustains it. And if he should withdraw that power, that energy, it would no longer hold together. It would no longer sustain life. It would no longer be possible for us to live here. And so in the Old Testament, we see that term, ruach, spirit, wind, breath, that invisible energy that gives life and empowers us. So we see God's personal presence, which empowers people even for something unique. Because God stirs in people's life. And so even though we all have the ruach of God within us. God stirs specially in some people. 
If we take a look through the Old Testament, we'd see Joseph. It says there in, about Joseph that, that uh, when the Pharaoh had dreams, he brought Joseph to him. He said, Joseph, I've heard that you are wise. Tell me my dreams. And he says, I can't do that, but God will give you the wisdom. And so Joseph gave uh, the Pharaoh the wisdom that God was giving him. And he gave him advice. Not only did he interpret the dreams, but then he says, And O Pharaoh, you should appoint a wise person so that during the times of great bounty, we collect and we save. And then when the times of famine come, we can still be alive. And the Pharaoh says, well, Joseph, it must be you then, because who else has the ruach of the gods in them? We read of also when the building of the tabernacle was first going to be done, and Moses was listening to God's instructions. God says, I have appointed, and it was a man named Bezalel, he says, I've put my spirit upon him so that he could be wise in crafting things out of metal and of wood and of cloth and of all kinds of materials. In fact, it was that special anointing and stirring of the spirit that made him a creative genius. And so the beauty that was inspired with the tabernacle and things that we can only imagine how amazing it was was because God stirred within this man his spirit. We read about the prophets. And of course, we are, it, it's easy to think of the prophets. Well, God's spirit speaks to them in dreams and in visions and in stories. And then they pass that on. But there was a time, especially during the time of the kings, that they weren't just called prophets. They were called seers. They could see things that others could not see. And these seers could look into the future, and they could see things far away. It's kind of like that time when, when Saul had lost his donkeys, and he was looking for them, and the seer said, oh, they've been found. See, he knew things, and he saw things that others could not see. In fact, it, it's interesting, if you take a look during the times of of Samuel and on during the times of the kings, there's what they called the company of the prophets. We don't know an awful lot about them, but it sounded like there was little enclaves where people where the Spirit of God was stirring in unique ways got together, probably because nobody else understood them and everyone else was a little bit afraid of them. And they got together and God's spirit stirred very uniquely in their lives. And to tell you the truth, the kinds of things that took place within the community of the prophets, well, it sends the weirdness meter off the charts. Because things start happening that you have no explanation for. In fact, what happened among the company of the prophets is probably some of the closest examples of what we could uh, equate things to today when we hear of things of the spirit stirring and people going unconscious and acting out in very unique ways. Samuel told Saul as he was going to be king, 
As you walk along, you're going to come across this company of prophets and something strange is going to happen to you. And when he did, he started prophesying. Now, prophesying, we tend to think of, well, he's going to foretell the future. But the term prophesying is a very general term of just doing things a little bit weird. They would go into a trance. They would sometimes sing and chant. They maybe even doing getting the shakes, kind of like the Quakers of old, where things would happen. In fact, quite a few years later, when Saul had been rejected by God because of his own sin, and he knew that David was going to be raised as the next king, Saul was chasing David across the desert. And as Saul was chasing David, he came across one of these companies of prophets. And something strange happened to him where he stopped and he started prophesying. He had no control of it. And here's the weirdness things where he stripped off all his clothes and he laid there naked for a day in a trance, chanting, and all kinds of weird things. You go, what is that about? And you go, I don't know. But God was stirring Later on, or around that same time, we read of Samson. You know, someone that God said, this person is mine for a certain reason. And I am going to use him for a very specific purpose. And when you read the story of Samson, and to tell you the truth, Samson is not the kind of guy I would probably want as a leader in our church. It seemed like he was very self-motivated, had a lot of self-will. He was very interested in a lot of things that were not what we would call godly. But God was going to use him anyway. He was going to use him to free the nation of Israel from their oppressors. And it says there that when the Spirit of God would come upon him, and it was usually when he was angry... The Spirit of God would come upon him and he would be so immensely strong that when he was bound with thick ropes, he could snap them as if they were burnt twine. It wasn't because he was buff. It wasn't because he, was, he had worked out. But the Spirit of God was working in him in such, you could almost say, a magical way. And that means it was beyond what was humanly understanding. That the Spirit of God empowered him beyond that. And he wreaked out his vengeance upon his enemies. Actually, very strange stories that we see in the Old Testament about what God's Spirit was doing. And then in the New Testament, the apostles got together sometimes and they said, Pray for us that God would give us boldness and the Spirit would stir and they could speak in boldness talks about the Apostle Paul, how the Spirit says, set out for me, Paul and Barnabas, and I have a mission to send them on. And so they were empowered, and they were given guidance by the Holy Spirit. But then there were times in that journey when the Holy Spirit would not let them go to certain towns, or would not let them speak in certain places. And we can only assume that God had more important places or more important things for them to do at that time. So he was guiding them. Go here. No, don't go there. I want you to go here. 
And so we see this picture this, of this empowering and this stirring of the Spirit. But you can never really tell what the Spirit is actually going to do or how he's going to stir. Sometimes it could be something amazing and surprising and a little bit bizarre. But sometimes it could be something very life-changing. It's something that inspires faith. So when Jesus, in his life, he talked about leaving. He says, I must leave so that the Spirit will come. He says, he is with you now, but he will then be in you. And see, there's a huge change that began at the time of Pentecost. Because Jesus told his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait there for the gift that my Father's going to send. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the idea is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there will be that new life-giving power. It's invisible. But it's real, and it's at work within you. And see, this is what separates it from being just, I believe a code of ethics, or I believe something that's true. So we have a religion and a faith, but it becomes different in this, is that God's spirit then starts stirring within us. So they stay in Jerusalem. And they wait for God's gift. And unbeknownst to them how it would look or what it would be like, when we read the story in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see there that a mighty rushing wind, that sound, the sound of a hurricane, filled the room. I'm not sure if you ever heard a tornado or a hurricane. I understand that can sound like a bunch of banshees. That the sound is so intense it could sound like a locomotive. When we lived on the prairies we saw huge winds. These plow winds that would come through. And that would rage for day and night. And day and night. And almost drive you batty. But there were some times that we would see the funnel clouds. Fortunately at a distance. And the power that was there. But it was the sound of the wind that filled the room. And it was that sound that alerted all the neighbors that something's going on. And they all came running to find out what is going on. Do we have a mess to clean up? Are there injuries? And they arrive at this room. And what has happened that with this sound. It appeared to be flames of fire in some way that was above some of the leader's heads something very unique and they began to speak and to the untrained ear it would sound like gibberish but what it really was is that they were all speaking in languages of different people that were in the room languages that they hadn't studied languages that they didn't know anything about but the hearers knew. 
And so they had people there from all, all walks of life and, and all kinds of areas. And they heard the apostles speaking to them the glories of God in their languages. <laughs> That's pretty miraculous. And the Spirit of God was doing it. And for those who didn't understand what was going on, they said, whoa, these guys have had a, just a little too much party in the night before. And that's what gave Peter that inspiration to stand up being moved by the Spirit of God. To share with them exactly what was happening. That no, it's not having to do anything with alcohol or partying but it's what scriptures foretold that God would pour out his spirit upon people and that they would be filled with the spirit that's an interesting term in fact I know many of us have come across that term being filled with the spirit in fact there's a portion of scripture from Ephesians chapter 5 that says this do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You go, debauchery? That's not a term that we use very much anymore. I actually had to look that up. It means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasure. Some of your Bibles will say, do not get drunk with wine because it leads to excess. Or it will ruin your life. It says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. And because Paul is there talking about how do we actually get along as believers? How do we actually relate to people from such different backgrounds, different nationalities, different histories? Because what God used to do and what God is doing now is often new. And so he was trying to teach them that it's, it's that filling of what God does. And the picture of filling has deep roots. And the deep roots of the Old Testament, when it speaks about the filling, goes back to the time of the tabernacle and the times of the temple. Because God was leading his people at night by fire, and at day by a cloud. And when God inspired Moses to build the temple, and he gave him the instructions, when it was all built, and even though God had a very close relationship with Moses, and Moses talked to him as a man talks to another man, not like others, that it says that the cloud came down, and it filled the tabernacle. And nobody could go in the tabernacle because it was full of the glory of God. And then hundreds of years later, when Solomon built the temple, and they took all the articles of the, of the tabernacle and brought them into the temple, and they prayed and they dedicated uh, this, and, and uh, the king had this elaborate prayer of dedication. The same thing happened. Where the temple was filled with the glory of God. See, this is the picture of being filled with that energy and that power. And even though it may be invisible, it's very real. 
And so the picture of being filled with the Spirit of God goes back into the Old Testament and, and how God's presence came in. It changed everything and indicated that this was a holy place and indicated that this was a special place and that God was going to meet them in a special way in this temple. And then Paul picks up on that theme in the New Testament. And he picks up, up on it in this way. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves, he means this collectively, that you yourselves are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells in your midst. And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. And God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. See, God's presence that filled the tabernacle and filled the temple and filled the space. God's plan for working is no longer in that building or in that place of worship. But his new temple is when believers are together. Which is why Paul says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there God is in the midst. It's because that is the new temple. We sometimes think of, well, my body is the temple of God, and I better not defile it. Which is true. But defiling it means I want to keep honoring God in it. But when we are together, we are God's temple. That place where his glory and his inspiration and where the Spirit's power is at work. And so this picture of being filled, where God fills the temple, is something that God does now in us. In our lives. In our midst. When we work together in God's name, the Spirit fills us. The temple of old was a place that was awe-inspiring. It drew people's attention. And when they saw how amazing it was, they would give praise to God. But that's the same as when people see how we work together in unity. People coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Different cultures. Raised in different ways. Different views on Gender and different views on roles for men and women. Different roles of what children should have to do. And we get together and we see that God's spirit makes us equal. And he stirs in us so that we can work through our issues. And that's all inspiring to a world that's not like that. See the sacrifices and the dress. And all the things that were involved in the old uh, temple, the rituals. Now, all of that that used to point to God and it was very symbolic. What God does in our lives becomes that symbol of what he's doing. And it draws people. And even though the tabernacle and the temple were supposed to be centers of missionary activity, which never really happened then, in the new temple, within us, God's plan is, I will draw all nations to me. 
So when we take a look at being filled with the Spirit, the Bible actually uses quite a few different terms to explain the exact same thing. Sometimes it uses being filled with the Spirit. Jesus put it this way, to abide in me or to abide in Christ. That describes the same thing. We're told in Scripture to walk in the Spirit. Some places we walk in the light as He is in the light. Sometimes it's talking about living by faith or living the life of Jesus. Paul put it this way. I am crucified with Christ, yet I'm still alive. But the life that's now alive in me is the life of Christ. Being filled with the Spirit is living the life of Christ. And he makes us one. And he empowers us. That invisible energy empowers us to be changed and to keep changing and to keep growing. Not to rely on what God used to do, but to keep relying on him for what he wants to do in our lives now. Now are there some myths about being filled with the Spirit? And I call them myths because as I take a look at the scriptures, it just seems like some of the things we believe don't really fit very well with scriptures. Well, sometimes we believe that being filled with the Spirit means I will speak in tongues. And actually, that may happen, or it may not. Because scriptures tell us that the Spirit gives His gifts and His enabling as He decides. And it's true that there were some instances in the New Testament, that there was speaking in tongues and speaking in languages. But there was lots of other times where it didn't happen. The thing is, we're not sure how God will stir in your life when His Spirit enters you. We do know that when His Spirit enters you at the time of faith, He changes us. And He takes up a residence in us. And who knows what that will look like. But it will be life-changing. Second myth. That I will be able to do miracles when I'm filled with the Spirit. And you know what? Maybe. Maybe not. God gives his greatest miracles. And I think his greatest miracles is the way he changes our hearts. But there are times through history that the moving of the Spirit does do miracles. And does signs and wonders. But that's up to God. To decide. Another one, being filled with the Spirit is only for super Christians. Well, I would tell you this that God's filling and God's stirring is for every single one of us. And His plan is to stir in us. And He makes us His children. And He's very interested in what goes on in your life. It's not just for super-Christians. Does, neither does it make you a super-Christian. Hey, I've done something amazing under the power of spirit. It's always God who is amazing. It's always Him we look to. And it's not about what happens in our lives. Sometimes we believe, I need to be baptized in the Spirit many times in order to stay close to God. Now, sometimes it's a... That's a question of terminology. What do we mean by being baptized by the Spirit? 
We know that the Spirit comes into us once and for all. And He takes up His residence and He's at work in our life. But being filled with the Spirit is, a t- is the type of thing that seems to happen more than once. That seems to stir and God moves in us. In fact, that filling and that stirring of the Spirit seems to be and thought of in Scripture as the way it should be. Kind of a common thing that God is at work in my life continually. Sometimes we think, I only get the filling if I request it earnestly. If I can find the right way to ask. If I can do the right kind of thing, then I will get the filling of the Spirit. And while inviting God's Spirit to stir is important, we invite not just with words. We invite with our life. We say, Lord, I am here. I am yours. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to follow the leading wherever that is. And we invite him to have his role in our life. So what is God doing in our lives? It's very hard to say sometimes exactly what it is God's going to do in your life. But it will be his choice. But there are some things that we do see. He works on our conscience. He shows us what's right and wrong. He coaches us. He leads us. He teaches us. He encourages us. There are some times that we're down in God's spirit. Gives us the courage we need. He produces a changed life within us. We call that the fruit of the spirit. The very fact that he's in our life, he changes us to be more like Christ. He enables us to do what's good. He gives us abilities or gifts, the scriptures call them. He gives these gifts, but he gives them not for our benefit. He gives them so that we can help others. In fact, if God is giving you abilities, then we must ask, Lord, how may I use these for the benefit of others? Because it's always for others. He reminds us of our connection to God. It's called a guarantee or an advance payment or a foretaste of the kind of unity and connection that we will have with God. And he never leaves us or forsakes us because he is God's presence in our lives. What does the Spirit of God want to empower you to do and that becomes your question that becomes your quest that becomes that overarching goal God what is it you want to do in me how is it that I need to change how is it that I can serve you know Ephesians chapter 2 In verse 10 says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has planned beforehand for us to do. He already has a plan of the good he wants you to do. And the goal is for us to seek that out. What is that good that you want to empower me to do? That your spirit, though invisible animates my life, empowers my soul 
stirs my passions and my compassion, stirs my interest, gives me abilities to serve others and to lay down my life as a servant for the sake of others. And in so, I am taking on the life of Christ. When God's Spirit is at work, when you are filled with that glory of God, with Him at work, He leads us to pursue those questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we learn more about you and your Holy Spirit that you place within us, Father, may we seek you out more and more. Heavenly Father, what is it that you want to empower us to do? What good is it that you call us to accomplish. How you seek to change us and move us and make us different people. And Father, we recognize that we cannot make these changes on our own. We need a power outside of ourselves. One that operates and works from within us and changes us from the inside out, we need your Holy Spirit, your presence to do this. And Father, we want to open the door of our hearts and invite you to do your thing in us. Sometimes we don't even have the will to change. We ask that you would work on our will, work on our interests, Work on our heart and our passion. Father, we want to be changed by you. And in Jesus' name and in the power of that spirit, we pray. Amen.